If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at CottageBlogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Well, hello and welcome once again to Vacation Rental Success. And this is episode number 22. And it's a beautiful day here today. The sun's shining. The Actually, if I was outside, I'm sure I would hear the birds singing. There's um, a beaver across the river um, just swimming up and down. And there's loons and I can see some deer through the trees. It's one of those idyllic mornings here in Ontario. And and that really is the topic of the episode um, is is spring and it's all me today. I don't have an interview and I wanted to talk about uh, some of the things that I've been doing over the past really week or 10 days since spring has, has really hit us and the snow's gone because in our part of the world, mo- most owners those who don't have year-round properties uh, have to wait until the spring before they can open up their properties that have been closed for the winter. So those who are currently thinking about renting out, who haven't done it before, have probably been, you know, they've been holed up for the winter. The cottage has been closed. It's been under snow and ice, and they're just getting to them now and thinking about how they get them very quickly up and listed for rental to capture the summer market here. And uh, so May is really the, the the hot month for listing new cottages onto the rental market. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that people who are listing their cottages for sale are listing them in late April, early May. And sales go through pretty quickly at that time. So if somebody's interested in renting out, they're not going to get it up and running until uh, around the end of May, end end of April, early May. So it's got to be a very quick process, and we find that a lot of the new owners, people who are considering renting for the first time, are deciding to look at an agency to start with, at least to kick them off for the first year or so, because they really don't have the knowledge or the wherewithal to get a listing up, a website up, or really understand what the process is. Over the last um, couple of weeks, I've been talking to dozens of of owners who are who are considering renting, and I've already been out to over a dozen potential new properties. And these range from a beautiful mansion on the Ottawa River, where the the owner's actually living in it full time, but he's considering renting it for the uh, for for just July and August, and that one's going to be in the region of. Four or five thousand dollars a week. Last week, I went and saw a property that's that's still under a little bit of re- uh, renovation, but I could still easily see how well it's going to do. And it's a, a much smaller, traditional, cottagey style cottage. Lots of pine and that that gorgeous smell of of new pine. In fact, because their renovations are going beautifully. Uh, but this is just you know, three tiny bedrooms one bathroom and an open plan living room, dining room, kitchen probably will achieve around $1,450 a week. 
So, so I've been looking at a range of properties. Oh, and there's, there's a new one coming up that I can't wait to go and see. It's actually on our lake. And I shall have to find a picture of it because it's so unique. There is a, the, the lake has a lot of islands and some of the islands have several properties. I mean, there's, a, there's a big island, which is called Big Island, that has maybe 30 or 40 properties on it. Um, but there is one tiny, tiny little island and there is one tiny little cottage sat on this island. Oddly enough, it does actually have electricity. Many, many years ago, the power lines were put underneath, uh, under the water, across the property. Uh, doesn't have a septic tank, so uh, uh, they have a holding tank there. But the uh, the owners are, new owners of the island, want to rent it out. So I can't wait to go and, and see that because it's going to be so amazingly unique it's just um two bedroom one bathroom property but it uh, of course is surrounded totally by water accessible only by water but a very interesting uh property to to market so i'm looking forward to that one but the reason i'm talking about this is that every property i go and see and every owner i talk to the the owners seem to have the same questions. And in sitting down with so many of them to to discuss their, their questions and concerns, the same ones just come up over and over again. And much of my time with them is spent dispelling the myths of rental. And these myths are so commonly generated by the media. Often they've heard stories from other owners who haven't heeded perhaps popular wisdom and and who've rented indiscriminately and have had had some issues, so they have some horror stories to tell. And of course, there's the general fear of the unknown for anybody who's never done this before. But it's interesting that I've I've talked to quite a few owners as well who have rented in the past, and they're now coming back to do it doing it again with some new properties, and they are coming up with with the same questions because they haven't really hooked into the fact that vacation rentals have changed so dramatically in the past 10 years. And, you know, I could do a full episode on the changes that I've seen since I've been in the business here in Canada. And that's not counting the experience I had in the UK before we came over here. So anyhow, this episode is going to explore the common myths of vacation rental. And we're going to cover off some of the most commonly asked questions. And this is not to say that the answers that I give are the ones that uh, you have to have to follow. It's, it's simply my experience. And having said that, the experience we have up here in, uh, in our part of the world uh, could be very, very different from somebody who is operating a vacation rental business in, in Hawaii or Colorado, or the Outer Banks, or the Bahamas, or England, or Australia. Everywhere it has its own uniqueness and quirks. But uh, but in general, the the questions are going to be the same. So I'm going to come up with some of the answers that I give to the people that I've been speaking to, but also refer you to some of the discussions that I've been reading up on places like laymyhat.com, 
the home away community and other um and other forums because these are the places that you need to go if you've got these burning questions because somebody has it's like with anything isn't it if you've got a question you ask google in general somebody's been there before they've asked that same question particularly on the on the technical side if if i ever have a problem with my my laptop or tablet device i just go online and ask the question somebody's asked it before and you'll find that these forums have so much information and shared information from owners who've been there and done it so yes i will come up with with some ideas in this episode but i'm also going to put links in the show notes to some of the popular forums where you can go and take a look at uh, at some of these discussions uh, granted, it could cause a lot of confusion because people do have very um, opposed views on on some things that uh, that we're going to cover, such as damage deposits. That's that's probably the most contentious issue there is out there. But it gives you a wide perspective, lets you see what uh, what people are discussing, and then at least if you've if you've got all this information to hand, you can then make your own educated decision on it. The first question that I'm often asked is based on the fact that I run a rental agency and the majority of people I go out and see are interested in renting with us because we operate um, an agency and we take over all the management of the rentals. And the first question will often be, what does an agency do and why do you charge so much? Years ago, I used to get, uh, I used to get very uptight at, at the question particularly when when people were very anti-agencies and, and would just stop by. If we were at the Cottage Life show or something like that, they'd, they'd just stop by and just tell us why they wouldn't think ever of using an agency because they can do it perfectly well by themselves. And we, we are gouging. That, that used to upset me. But now I'm a, a lot more pragmatic about it. I understand completely that people who are out on their own doing a fantastic job listing their properties, managing the reservations, managing their guests in the property while they're, while they're there, managing their cleaning teams. There are a lot of people out there, and I'm sure I've got many listeners on this podcast who are doing just that. And that is great. You do the most fabulous job. The majority of people who are doing this are doing it incredibly professionally. And, and I know many of them that, uh, that I've learnt a lot from. However, and this is a big however, there is a huge place for rental agencies. And, uh, and that's what I, I will tend to um, say to people, that there is a place for an agency if, A, you don't want to be dealing with emails, telephone calls, at all hours of the day and night. B, you don't want to spend your time creating listings, doing your own photography, uh, taking video, all that sort of thing. And C, an agency is great if you don't want to get involved in any of the property management. However, there's a caveat to that. And, uh, and I just want to briefly cover off the different types of agencies there are because it's a rental agency or a vacation rental management agency title is not a one size fits all 
proposition. So, for example, my rental agency, Cottage Link Rental Management, we are simply a rental agency. We don't cover any property management. And the reason for that, we represent over 200 properties and they're very diversely located. Uh, where I am, which is about two hours east of Toronto, I manage properties in, in the next province in Quebec, which is a, a five or six hour drive for, for me to get there. We also manage properties in the far west of the province. Um, that's actually a six or seven hour drive for me. So it, it would be impossible for an agency covering that diverse an area to manage the pro- to do the property management, to dispatch cleaning teams and to dispatch maintenance teams and to look after all the myriad issues that arise during a vacation. So a simple rental agency like we are just covers the marketing and management of the rentals. So we do screening of guests, management of the uh, rental agreement. We collect money. In Ontario, all agencies have to be registered as, as travel agencies. So we, we have to comply with our um, Travel Industry Council of Ontario regulations, which means we, we hold monies in a trust account, etc., etc. I'm, I'm, we're a member of the Vacation Rental Managers Association. And when I'm down at the conferences and I talk to a lot of other agency owners, we really are a bit out on a limb in just doing rental management uh, because the majority of rental agencies are property managers as well. So if you register with them, then they will not only manage the rentals, but they'll also manage the uh, the property as well, see guests in and out, make sure the cleaning's done. So you can be totally hands-off. And there's many, many people who want that sort of service. There is also the third type of agency, which is which we would refer to as a property management rather than vacation rental management. This is a property management agency and they simply manage the cleaning and maintenance side. You can have a sort of hybrid business where you do your own rentals, put the listings up, deal with the emails and correspondence, uh, keep in touch with your guests all the way through but you have a property management company that looks after anything that may happen during your guest visit and perhaps sees them in and out and just deals with general maintenance. And that's, that's the way that a lot of owners go when they want to independently manage their property, but they live at such a distance that they're not able to oversee what happens and check on the place regularly. So, so those are the different types of agencies. So, so if, you were, if you were looking for an agency, then you need to really establish right from the start exactly what is it that you do? What are you going to do for me for the money I'm giving you? Uh, this, this is the question that, uh, that I, I deal with with a lot. So we have a pretty standard response that lets them know that uh, in general, the first 3% of the commission that we take goes on the credit cards and the financial aspects that uh, that we take away from our owners. Then after that, it's it's marketing. There is a reason that rental agencies have gazillions of visitors to their website and it's because they work at their search engine optimization and they work at getting people to their sites and they will probably have a blog and they more than likely like us 
will have a 24-hour call centre so that no call ever goes to voicemail. So there's some humongous costs involved in in some of these things. In creating uh, a company that will list your property and it will be seen. So you're going to get the bookings. And that's what you want as an owner. You want maximum occupancy. And for rental agencies in general, that's exactly what they want. I mean, you will find out how the how the commission is paid. Is the commission paid simply on on the weeks that are rented or if there are any other additional costs? I mean, some agencies will charge for listings and there may be restrictions as well. Restrictions on your own occupancy of the property. So that's another important thing. To, uh, to consider. I have written a post recently on property management or rental management agencies versus do-it-yourself. During this episode, I'm going to talk about a lot of different posts that we've, um, we've already done. And rather than talking about them in general here, if you just go to the show notes at www.cottageblogger.com forward slash VRS022, then the show notes will list every uh, additional blog post or article or podcast that uh, that that I'm going to mention. So there was one recently on the rental management side of it and why some people would find it better to use a rental management agency. So just go to the show notes and check that out. Moving quickly on and you know this is almost a topic I want to uh, I want to go quickly over because it is so contentious. But it's the question that I am asked every single time by every single owner is about damage. How much of a damage deposit do you charge? What do you get from guests before they before they come? When can I claim? What can I claim for? And really, questions about damage in general. There's such a myth out there that that rental guests will and I'm putting this in quotes trash the place. And I hear this a lot and it's there's there's urban myths that if you open up your property for vacation for, for for rental, that people will tell you there's just four of them. And then 30 people turn up for a party. The place is, is totally trashed and it will cost you thousands to get it back to a rental ready state again. And, you know, in fact, that it, it does happen very, very, very occasionally. And it usually happens to people who have not exercised due diligence in their rental agreements and in um, in ensuring that guests know that there are limits on occupancy. But let's just go back to damage deposits. There's lots of arguments for and against, and I'm putting some links in the show notes to some specific discussions that, uh, that I've seen on the HomeAway community you can take a look at. I'm going to give you my perspective on it, and this is what I... I say to all owners when they ask the question, there is risk in this business. It is not risk-free and there will occasionally be damage. And that is the cost of doing this business. Now, when I talk about that type of damage, I'm talking about minor accidental stuff like a plates or glasses getting broken. And I have to say last year I went through probably two dozen wine glasses in, in one of my properties. And it just seemed to be every time I went down there, there were more wine glasses missing. I just have boxes in, in the basement of, of wine glasses and my caretaker just replaces them and we don't really even think about it. And that's I, th- I think most owners are going to, to 
be looking at it in the same way. Uh, other damage could be, let, let's say, a lampshade gets broken or a lampshade gets broken or maybe a, a minor stain on a mattress. And once again, to, to me, those are the costs of doing business. Mattress stains should not occur if you use really good quality mattress covers. And those can be replaced. Uh, same with pillow covers. And I certainly wouldn't be about uh, going back to a guest if there was a a tiny blood stain, let's say, on, on a mattress cover. I'm just going to, if I can't get rid of it, I'm just going to replace that mattress cover. It's the cost of doing business. Okay, so let's get to whether we should be charging a damage deposit or not. Now, I go to two or three vacation rentals every year, and every one recently, we've had to upfront $500, send a check, and then about a month goes past, and then we get that, that money back. Do you know, it's not something I have ever, ever done. And in our in our rental agency, we have never pre-cashed any damage deposit. In the 10 years of our business, we have either held a, a check for $500. We collect a check. We don't cash it. It's there in case uh, we need to. Or more recently, we hold a $500 authorization on a credit card. Now, all credit card companies are different. Some some don't allow you to do that. So it's worthwhile checking. That would be my advice. If you're going to collect a damage deposit, I just don't see the point in cashing it. And it can lose you business if you know people quite often don't want to be upfronting another $500 and having that out of their bank account for a long time. There's a, there's a lot of trust that we need to look at in this business. We, we need to trust our, our guests that they're going to look after our property and they are trusting us that we're going to deliver the property that we've promised. And you know if we do that, if we deliver a great property just as promised, it's pristinely clean, there just is not going to be any damage apart from the occasional accident. And that's where accidental damage protection plans come in. And both, uh, you know, the major companies, Travel Guard and CSA, and I'll put links to those in the uh, show notes, offer um, quite adequate uh, vacation protection plans. And guests can be directed to those sites and they can check out the policies. And I believe that uh, that if you're registered with, with HomeAway, I think you can actually offer, you can sell that plan to them. That may be incorrect, but it's something to to check on. But at least if you can't sell it to them, you can ask them to ensure that they have this plan and it, it will cover accidental damage. It also covers them for cancellation, which is, I mean, really is a a good policy for them to have. So, so that's it. That's my personal take on damage. I expect to get pushback on that. But do you know, over 10 years of renting out our properties, um, last year we did 1,700 rentals. So I'm thinking in 10 years, probably we've done, you know, at least 10,000 rentals. And we have had some occasions of damage. But the amount of times we've ever had to cash those damage deposit checks is just minimal. It just hardly ever happens. We don't charge for anything under $100. I mean, why would you? That's the cost of doing business. And quite often, if there's anything over that, and we've had some catastrophic damage in, in excess of five or $6,000, that is what your rental insurance should cover. Um, so let's just move on to that one. That, uh, let's just talk about 
rental insurance because I, I've had a couple of questions. It's not every owner that asks this question, but I've had it several times. And the question is, extra insurance for our vacation rentals is really expensive. Do we have to get it? We already have insurance for the vacation home. What's the point of paying more? And to, to, to me, that's I, I, I think people are, are asking those questions without really thinking about it because there's some naivety in there that you can have um, strangers coming into your home who've paid you for a vacation and, and not expect to be held liable if they um, hurt themselves through your negligence. I had a great interview with Phil Schofield of Schofield's Insurance uh, recently where we went through a, a lot of these insurance issues. So I'm not going to go into this too deeply. But what I do tell all my prospective owners is absolutely you must have insurance that covers you for renting the property. Now, up here in Ontario, that's pretty difficult to obtain. And there are some specialist insurers, but most of them will only cover for, some will only cover for two weeks of rental, and then it goes right up to about 180 days. And once you get into year round, you're renting at, at any time during a year, like I do with my properties, then you would be considering perhaps commercial insurance policy for that. Or in some cases, there are a few insurers that will cover uh, owners for it, but, uh, but they're a little bit few and far between. So it's really worthwhile checking them out. And it's really important that the liability cover is high. Uh, we are about at $4 million and uh, in liability cover. And I just want to tell you a story here that um, I, I did hear that there is currently a case in the Ontario courts where an owner and the agency is being sued by an unregistered guest at a property. Now, what happened was, or so I, this is hearsay to some extent. I haven't specifically corroborated this, but uh, but the story goes that a group of half a dozen people rented a property and without telling the owner, they had a wedding during their stay. And 30 or 40, or perhaps it may have been even more guests, came to this wedding. And during the <coughs> ceremony and the reception, the minister who conducted the wedding tripped over something in in the um, uh, on the property and and hurt himself and then took the owner and the agency to court for damages. This person who made the claim was not registered as a guest, and that just blew me away and i'm I really I'm going to go back to follow this up a little bit and probably write a blog post on it because it really highlights the importance of liability insurance. Because to me, I'm just as a lay person, I'm thinking, well, this is going to get thrown out. And I'm quite sure it would. I'm quite sure it's not going to get where whoever's laid this claim wants it to go, which is fine. But during this time, the stress on the owner is going to be huge. Because regardless of whether the outcome is going to be on his side, he's still going to be collecting letters from insurance companies, from lawyers. And if, if he's still in the business of renting, I would be very, very surprised. So, so you can't get away from the fact that a liability claim could be spuriously made. It can happen at any time and you'll still go through that stress. However, having a really solid liability cover is going to mitigate that stress a lot. 
It's going to ensure that the insurance company has a great lawyer who's going to fight it on your behalf. And although you will be involved to a certain degree, you have that real cushion of the insurance company's support. So check out that podcast I did with Phil about insurance because it covers, it, it, it talks about things like, you know, what is negligence? And if you can prove that, that you have not been negligent, then you should be fine. But just make sure you've got a lot of liability cover. The next question that comes up over and over again is about pets. Should we accept them or not? I am 100% in favour of accepting pets because I'm a dog lover. And I've always opened up Osprey Cottage and Kingfisher Cottage to families with pets. And that is my demographic. This is, this is who I'm aiming for and who, where, where all my marketing goes. I want to encourage people to come and bring their pets. One of the reasons being is that uh, I'm, I'm, our statistics show that over 65% of our rental guests in our agency uh, are bringing a dog with them. And, and in fact, when I talk about pets, I am in generally talking about dogs and not cats. Um, most of our owners are far more wary about accepting cats, but they will accept dogs because the market's out there and the market is looking for pet-friendly vacation rentals. So that's my answer often to owners who are on the fence about accepting dogs, that if you decide not to, then You've, you're limiting yourself to the remaining 30-odd percent of the rental market. And once we get out of season, then that's, that's really tough because the people who rent out of season, particularly in our area, tend to be um, older couples, uh, retired people. And in general, they have a dog with them. For me, unless there is a medical reason or a, an I don't like dogs reason, then Quite honestly, I think that the pet friendliness issue is is a big one. And if you're going to be pet friendly, you're going to get higher occupancy. I find this more so in, in perhaps in, in Canada and the US, where in, in places where people tend to be traveling by road. If you're in Maui or um, the Bahamas or, or perhaps even or, or Costa Rica, it's unlikely that your guests who are flying in are going to be bringing their pets. So that's sort of a, a little bit of a, of a moot point. It really is one of these things that really is location dependent. So if you are in one of those areas, you probably don't have to consider that at all. The other question, of course, that comes up when we're talking about pets is uh, about extra cleaning and uh, and should we charge for them? Once again, this is contentious and I see a lot of uh, forum discussions saying that, oh gosh, yes, you've got to charge pet. You can charge whatever you want because people will pay it just to bring their pets. Personally, that's not what I I would recommend. To me, you either accept pets or you don't. And if you accept them, then you accept that they will bring with them some hair and perhaps occasional damage. But quite honestly, I think far more damage is caused by toddlers and older children even than pets. And I, I said this to an owner a couple of days ago and I said, okay, you've got grandchildren. How much do you have to clean up when your grandchildren leave? And she said, oh, she said, I don't know where all the food comes from. She said, they're not allowed to eat away from the table. And she said, yeah, there's Cheetos crushed up under the uh, under the sofa cushions. 
And she said, and then there's Crayola on the walls and there's handprints everywhere. She said, yeah, it takes a long, long time to clear up after the grandkids go home, but we love them and we really don't don't mind at all. And I said, okay, so let's look at it another way. He said, when was the last time that that you had, uh, and they had a dog? And I said, when was the last time your dog got up on the couch and had its meal on the couch? And when was the last time your dog actually took Crayola to the walls? Or or even left, I mean, they may leave the occasional nose mark on a window, but not the big handprints that seem to appear on every window, certainly in my place when, when we've had kids staying. So that is my very, very personal take on whether we should be pet friendly or not and whether we should charge. I honestly don't, I've, we've, we've never charged for pets. We may charge for a second pet, but certainly not for the first one. We love dogs. We want them. They're our target market. So, so really have a think about who your target market is. If you want to attract people with pets, and they do tend to be, owners do tend to be very respectful, then make it a, um, a pleasure for them to do business with you. And, uh, and making them pay extra is, is perhaps not as pleasurable uh, as it would be if they, if they didn't. So that's my soapbox I'm getting off. Uh, interesting, um, go back to the interview I've just done with Rex Brown from Melbourne, Australia. Um, he he talks about how quickly he got to maximum occupancy with his properties and and also one of his properties that is so pet friendly that uh, that people clamour to come and stay there. So uh, I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, next question I had last week was about how we deal with overcrowding. And the question was, well, my neighbours rented last year and it seemed like there were tons of people who came every week and um, as soon as the owners had gone, because the owners did the meet and greet, all these vans and trucks arrived and all these people put tents in the garden. And my answer to that is you can't have complete control. And these things do happen. And there will always be incidences of overcrowding at some point. But you can do a lot to, uh, to prevent it from happening. And one of the simplest things that we do in the agency is first of all, we collect the names and ages of everybody that's going to be at the property. And we're very clear on our occupancy limits. And we say clearly that the rental agreement that we send out will limit the occupancy only to those people that have been listed. And we play the insurance card and say this is due to the insurance on the property and the fact that only those listed will be covered by any insurance. And if there is any overcrowding, the insurance could be void. If that happens and a catastrophic event occurs, then the rental guests could be entirely liable for the outcome. Now, I don't know if, if that would actually be the case, but, uh, but we word it in the way that we aren't telling an untruth. We're simply saying that this is you place yourself at risk if you overcrowd a property. We also say that cottage communities are very close. You know, if you're out walking the dog or out on the dock, neighbours may, may stop by and, and ask you questions. You know, are you having a great time and are, are you enjoying the area? And if you have more people, and this is what we say to our guests, if you actually have more people than, than you declared to the owner, the neighbours will probably know because they'll know how many people are expected at the property. So there's no hiding. You shouldn't be able to have uh, a wedding with 30 people. Uh, when you only declared six at the outset. We send a friendly reminder a week before our guests arrive. 
and it just says i'm sure you're looking really looking forward to your your stay at the property and we send them a, a, a little list of, of things that they need to remember to take with them and we also add a note that says your rental agreement covers you for the six people that you originally listed on your rental application if you plan on having any more to stay either day or overnight please let us know so we can ensure that they are covered by the insurance policy and that you will not be at any risk of being asked to leave due to overcrowding. It's amazing what an impact that brief note has. And we often get immediate response saying, oh, Auntie Jo, oh, Aunt, Aunt, Auntie Joanne and Uncle Bob are coming just for the day. Is that OK? Or, oh, we were planning on having some friends to come and stay overnight. Do we need to tell you about them? And we can, in general, we go back and say, yeah, that's absolutely fine, just as long as we know. It's a very simple thing, very, very powerful. So so that's how I deal with the questions about overcrowding. And once again, in the 10,000 odd rentals we've done over the past 10 years, we've heard about overcrowding just on a handful of, occasion, of occasions. Once again, this is not a risk-free business, so it, it does happen. But we can put things in place to limit the potential of it happening. I also wanted to touch on a question about property management and managing cleaners because the question I'm often asked is, well, you know, we, we can't get to our property to to let our guests in or to do a meet and greet. And, and what happens if something goes wrong? Um, we are three or four hours away. We can't get there to deal with, uh, with little issues that arise. And my answer always is, is you must, always must have someone on the ground, someone close by that can deal with anything that should arise. I'm delivering a seminar at the upcoming Vacation Rental World Summit and it's it's about how we get raving fans and how to get these five-star reviews. But the undercurrent of it, or underlying the whole message, is that our, our guests want an effortless experience they don't want to have an issue that arises during their vacation and then not be able to find somebody to come out and fix it. So you must have a point person, someone on the ground that your guests can go to or can go out and fix something, even if even if they come to you with the problem. Um, and this, uh, this, this covers things like uh, getting into the property, access issues. What happens if a guest arrives and the, the code doesn't work? And they're stuck out in the rain and you are four hours away and you haven't told anybody where the uh, where the spare key is. My answer is always have a point person. Make sure they understand your philosophy of hospitality and what you expect of them. Don't ever leave a key with a neighbour for the guests to arrive and get the key from them. Because what happens if your neighbours go out or your guests arrive at midnight? It, that that just does not work. So my advice is generally to them is to think about every aspect of your guests' arrival, stay and departure and make sure there is something in place to manage that. Now, whether that means getting in a professional man property management company or hiring somebody, maybe your cleaner or, or caretaker who can manage all those things, well, that's fine. But as long as that person is reliable is able to deal with things at a minute's notice and you feel fully confident 
that let's say you went away somewhere and you were out of internet contact for two or three days. Uh, let's say you went on a, uh, on a, you were hiking the Pacific Trail or something like that. You want to be totally, and you've got guests in your property and you want to be 100% confident that if anything happens while you are out of that, out of that range of contact, that somebody will deal with any issue that may arise in your absence. And that really, really is important. Well, you know, I'm coming to the end of of the time here. I can't believe how this has moved on. But uh, I hope that what um, what I've talked about and these the answers to these questions have been helpful. I'd love to hear what what you think. I'd love to hear your pressing questions. What are the questions that you would love to ask an expert? And it, uh, you know, an expert in perhaps photography or staging an expert in real estate, uh, an expert in marketing, vacation rentals. Just ask your questions in the uh, comments section and we are going to be getting together a panel of people who are going to answer those questions and hopefully do it on a Google Hangout in the next month or so. Of course, as, as I mentioned, the Vacation Rental World Summit is coming up on June the 13th to 15th. There's a link to that in the show notes. That is um, seminars and workshops from 12 experts in this business that are going to be delivering groundbreaking stuff. I mean, you will learn things that you'd never thought about. You're going to learn about um, how to take the most amazing photographs uh, from um, Tayan Marsink, who is a terrific photographer. Uh, oh, and she also, uh, her family owns 18 vacation rentals in Branson, Missouri. So uh, she really knows her stuff. You're going to hear from Sandra Hamilton, who is a an interior decorator and stager. And she's going to tell you all those little things that really don't need to cost a lot that are going to make a huge difference in the presentation of your listing. You'll hear from Rex Brown, who I've just talked to recently on the podcast, and he's going to talk about how he got to from from zero rentals when he bought a new property to full maximum occupancy in three months. And that's pretty significant. And then others, Wendy Shand from totstotravel.co.uk, uh, Erica Muller of the Flamingo Group in Florida. And if, if you're thinking about buying a property in Florida, Erica is the go-to person for Orlando, or in fact, um, really for advice on buying a vacation rental home anywhere, if you're thinking of buying another one, just like I am at the moment. And there's plenty of others. So so go to the link on www.cottageblogger.com forward slash VRS022 and go to the um, show notes and you'll see a link to the Vacation Rental World Summit. So that's it for another week. I've I've had fun. I've had a lot of fun doing this. And, you know, I love to interview, but it's really, really enjoyable. Just uh, just sharing some of the things that you know I do in my day to day work, and and that I think can really impact on everyone who's listening and everyone in the vacation rental industry. So once again, I'd like to thank you for listening. And uh, really love you to write a comment and and tell me what you thought. And if you go to the bottom of the show notes, you'll find a link to iTunes where you can go and leave a review if you really like the show. 
So once again, thank you, and I'll see you next week. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business. Oh,